Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Today on Exploring Missions, our guest is Matt Friedemann. Matt, welcome to Exploring Missions. Well, wonderful to be here. It's a real honor. Thank you. And if you recognize the name, it's Pastor Matt Friedemann, and uh, he has uh, a longtime friend of American Family Association, American Family Radio, and we appreciate him so much. So, Matt, what we want to talk about today is the ministry of a local church and the direction that you have taken it for as God's leadership in our lives because uh, direction is so important. You know, are we headed in the right direction? Usually there's curves in the road, but you're going in the right direction. There's usually hills, ups and downs, but you're headed in the right direction. For a local church today, uh, I know it's to seek God, but tell us a little bit about what God's laid on your heart concerning the local church and its ministry. Well, I think we ought to be an outward-bound people. Uh, I think it's great to come together on Sunday, but we need to leave and say, what effect, what impact can we have this week? What does the Lord want us to do outside of these four walls? And so we find our greater identity in what Jesus is doing through us out in the community than we do even getting together on Sunday. Not that that's unimportant. It's extremely important. But we're getting equipped. We're getting excited. We're getting enthused to go out and do what Jesus wants us to do. You know, Martin Luther had a, had an interesting way to define sin, and it was with a Latin phrase, cor incurvatus ad se. Cor meant heart. Incurvatus mean curved in. Ad se was on yourself. So what was a sinful heart? It was a heart curved in on itself. And uh, he didn't give the other part of it, but I, I got a bunch of Latin scholars in my house. My wife homeschools our children and teaches them Latin. And so I asked my wife and my kids, what would the opposite of core incurvatus be? And they only really change one syllable. It's core excurvatus yeah. and then ad alias, which would be a heart curved out to other people. And I believe that's the essence of holiness. I believe that's the essence of righteousness. I believe that's the essence of Jesus, a heart curved out to people who are in serious need in our communities. I believe that's the way Jesus discipled his guys. I believe that's the way, that's why God sent his son. I believe that's the church when it's being the church. It's a heart curved out. Amen. He brought them in to send them out. Yes, absolutely. And uh, he would do it often, many times. And they'd come back and report too. Does that sound like accountability to you? Yeah, the disciples did. They came back to report, and then uh, they knew that with the rest of their lives— uh, they were going to be this guy. In fact, that was the essence of a discipleship anyway, whether with Jesus or another rabbi, you would learn from those rabbis, you would learn from those teachers, and then that message would be upon your shoulders to go share it with the rest of the world. And Jesus said, and I mean the world, but the message is more than simply just words or simply just the Sermon on the Mount. The message was a heart curved out to where we touch the untouchables. We go out to the margins of our culture and make sure we're impacting them. The book of James had a lot to say that because in, in that day, orphans and widows were the most outward cast because they had no rights. And he said, pure religion is this, that they take care of those. 
the word pure has the idea of unadulterated. I mean, it's purposeful. It's goal. Pure has that idea. And it was to reach those that were uh, kind of could not defend themselves. Of course, James being the brother of Jesus, you would you would anticipate <laughs> him saying something like that because that's how Jesus disciple his guys. They didn't sit around uh, drinking lattes and having Bible studies. Uh, they did some of that. They sat around and, and, and talked Bible. But on the whole, the way Jesus made a disciple was to take them to the margins of the culture, take them to the hurting people of the culture and say, let's invest our lives here and let's do our Bible studies as we are ministering. One of the most amazing trips Jesus made was to Philippi, Caesarea Philippi. Right. Went up there where the gates of hell was, and he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was where the God of Pan was supposedly come in and out. And it was kind of like going to New Orleans at Mardi Gras. You, you don't take my children there, but Jesus purposely took them there. He purposely would send them into the sea when the storm was coming. Now, he did that after and this is what I caught on, on you saying, after he had prepared them and equipped them with what, how they could handle it depending upon him. So is that a vital part? You, you used it a moment ago, the word equip. When I think of Ephesians, he talks about the pastor. One of the jobs is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. How important is that? No, that's huge. And, of course, the way that many of us as pastors want to do that is to preach. We think preaching is equipping, and it's really not. It's an important part of it, but it's just a part and probably a very small part of that. Uh, The best thing that a congregation can know they have at their disposal in a pastor is a guy that's in the fight, a guy that's activating, guys doing something. Uh, And and as the case may be, that will mean that uh, you need as a pastor to be out there with your people at places like prisons or at places like nursing homes or places like abortion clinic. in our church, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, we've got ladies that go out to strip clubs every week. We've got ladies that go to jails. Uh, I, I help out with a Bible club in an elementary school every week. Uh, a good bit of the pastoral time ought to be engaging people at the margins, engaging people who are hurting, running to the sound of the pain. That's one of the ways we like to put it in our congregation. Run to the sound of the pain in your community. And it it doesn't suffice that a pastor says, and I think you ought to do that. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to preach. I don't think that's the way it works. It didn't work that way with Jesus. Jesus didn't say, listen, I'm a Sermon on the Mount kind of guy. I want you guys to go do the grunt work. He didn't say it. He said, let's go. Let's do it together. Let's get it done as a body. And I think that's the way people are best equipped, by doing with someone who is a true leader. And the true leader does what? Well, washes feet, uh, touches lepers, uh, invites people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what a real leader does. And if that real leader is engaging his disciples and engaging a lost world all at the same time, there is power in that. So when when your church meets together, is it a report time, a testimony time, along with the equipping? Is how, how does that work? Yeah. In other words, do, do, do each one of I know for me, let me start all over on this. For me, when I hear you sharing this, it encourages me and challenges me. Yes, I want to be on the front lines with my people, not not send them out, but going with them. So when they come back to meet together like the apostles would, uh, is, is the encouragement there when they hear others are doing this and you're doing this? They'll say, yes, I can. Oh, yeah. And you got to create a culture for it. That's what you're trying to do as a pastor is create a culture of doing uh, in places where people are hurting. So 
if you create that culture, you don't have to do everything as the pastor. I, but I always want to be doing something. I always want to be doing either. And, and right now, for instance, I'm I'm at a prison weekly. I'm out in front of an abortion clinic weekly. Uh, I'm with a Bible club in an elementary school weekly. Now, there are at least 15 more things our church does together out in the world. I don't have to do all of them. I shouldn't do all that. I couldn't do all of them. Right. But having said that, you need my, to do people, some of them. my people know that I'm doing it, and it helps to create the culture of activity, uh, what I would call the priesthood, a culture of the priesthood reaching out to the lost. When it comes to your preaching, the prophetic voice, I know you have that. I heard you enough on your on radio, a prophetic voice in our world today. I, I see that lacking in many pulpits of challenging them to, to get that involved. And, and it's kind of passive and passe and, oh, you, you come and you give. Uh, hey, that's good. Doesn't sound like your church is involved in that kind of ministry. Sound like when they come there, they'll, they know there's something that's expected of them. Well, yeah, you, you asked the question, uh, is it a report time? And the truth is, one of the things my church does on a regular basis is we put up the numbers. The numbers do not include how much money we took in or how many people attended uh, Sunday school or small groups or attended our worship service. The numbers are how many of us were at the prison this week and how many people did we touch? Uh, and, and by extension, sometimes we get the chance to say, and this is how many people were baptized this week out of the prison. So we put up those numbers and we, my, my church is about 15 or 16 of these kinds of ministries. And so we put up how many of us went uh, how many of us uh, were touched? I mean, how, how many of the, the prisoners, for instance, how many were there? And then how many uh, were brought to know a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the kind of thing we want to be sure to report. Now, because I'm doing some of it every week, guess what? My, 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 uh, my messages are infused with this kind of stuff because I, I talk about not only Scripture, but how that Scripture is— uh, with the Holy Spirit through me engaging people, I'm obviously going to talk. It's a natural thing to talk about it. And I hope that encourages people to know that their pastor's in the fight, to know that things are getting done. But the truth is, you know what I'm finding out? I'm not near as effective at doing this as most of my people are. That. They're so good at it. I'm so poor at it. And, and by the way, I'd like to say that is a, that's, that's, uh, false humility. That ain't false humility. That's that, that's, that's reality. That's what's happening. They are <laughs> Been so there, done good. That, brother. And I'm gonna tell you who is the very best at doing that. Um, let me tell you about a guy named David in our church. He gave testimony yesterday in our church because I want to know. Tell me about what Jesus has done in your life. He told, but uh, we found him out out the prison. We said, "Hey, come to our church." And almost all the prisoners say, "Yeah, I'll come to your church." Very few actually do, but this guy did. He got plugged in, and guess what? He's now back out there preaching to formerly incarcerated guys on a regular basis and the incarcerated. And he's believable because he can say, like, I can't, been there, done that, and I know the way out, follow me. Now, there's power in that. Amen. A lot more power than I can bring a message to those guys. This guy can bring it because uh, he's what Henry Nowen once called the wounded healer. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Our churches, and, and I don't want to discredit any church. I'm just saying this. Would it be wise for a church to simplify some of the things they do inward mm. so that they could do more things outward? Uh, you know, you don't go to a football game to watch the team huddle. Oh, that's the best huddle I've ever seen. Did you see the form? 
know it's after they break the huddle that they go out and do the work. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, there's I mean, no question about it. More churches ought to be doing that. That ought to be what a church is. A church, as you know, in the original language was a called out people. But called out for what? Called out to be salt and light. That's not just with a voice. That's with your life. As we go ahead and intersect with these desperate people, these people that need to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Exploring Missions. Our interview is with Matt Friedman. Matt, tell us about your church, the name, and where. People say, who's this talking? Yeah, yeah. I know his name, but I don't know where he's from. <laughs> well, uh, we we planted a church uh, about 16 years ago in Clinton, Mississippi. That's right outside of Jackson. And uh, ever since, we've been trying to be a, a group of people that has gone out to the margins. If you want to know more about that church, it's a Day Spring Community Church you can find out about it at dayspringonline.org, dayspringonline.org. And uh, I'm going to tell you how we, we started out that whole thing. From the very beginning, uh, I had been on AFR. I used to have a radio show here. Uh, and uh, I had a newspaper column. And I was always saying, pastors, if you'll lead your people to go out and touch human need, uh, you're going to change the world. People will follow you. We'll change the world. And I, I would say specifically about abortion. If pastors would lead their congregations out to the abortion clinics, we could end abortion overnight in this country, and I believe that. Uh, but I didn't do that. You see, I was a professor and uh, not a pastor, so I could say that without you know, having to actually do it. Then one day, the very first service at Dayspring Community Church, the very first service, a lady walked up to me, and she said, Pastor, and I hadn't been a pastor, so that was a new word to me, Pastor, when are you going to lead us out to the abortion clinic? And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I thought, oh, no, 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 no. It's bad when you have yeah, your sermon yeah, back someone to Someone yeah. that's going to bring integrity <laughs> into my life. And I, I, the only thing I could say at that, at that point was, well, how about this weekend? And we've been out there ever since, every week, ever since, trying to do what's right by babies in the womb and by ladies in crises. And uh, then we just started adding uh, ministries to that. And uh, I led some of them, but most of my I, I don't lead, obviously, because I can't do them all. But I think the, the, the Holy Spirit's doing an incredible thing and always does an incredible thing through a group of people, wherever they're found in the world, that decide we want to have hearts curved out to hurting people who need to know the message of Jesus Christ and need to feel his compassionate, merciful love. Turn the table just a second. Stay in there, really not turning the table, just deviating a little. How important is it in our world to have the freedom to do that? I mean, the reason I say this, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is the last verse in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, I translate an unhindered gospel. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I say this quite a bit here on this program, Matt, uh, after World War II, you know, the church in China, underground church, yep. exploded and millions and millions have have come out and been born again in America after World War II. It was amazing what took place. Billy Graham would fill thousands and thousands, and people were li literally saved. In my denomination, Southern Baptist, in 1954, the slogan was a million more in 54. Mm. And, and we reached, and a lot of them were really born again. But during that period of time, I say China did not send any missions out. America, after that time, has sent more missionaries out to international missionaries 
than ever before. And it's a lot because we had the freedom to do so. Mm. And that's why AFR, a lot of folks get angry at us for we're, we're out there in the politicizing. Well, listen, uh, we're wanting my, – my goal is an unhindered gospel. I, I'll put it in no – in matter of fact, the freedom to do that mm-hmm. is so important and so vital, and we better do it while we can. You can't discount freedom to do that, but can I take a little bit of a contrarian view sure here? You sure can. And, and it would be this. So we had a, some, somebody from French TV come into our, uh, my church and want to interview us and uh, eventually made us all look like idiots. Uh, <laughs> It's what Don Wallman learned a long time ago. Be be wary of who you ask in or yeah. allow in to do media stuff on you. But nonetheless, they came in and uh, what they didn't put into the program, of course, you know, they're not going to put in the parts you'd really like for them to put in. But she, she was just assuming that every single person in my church had voted for Donald Trump and every single person was religiously and politically active. And so she says, uh, isn't it important that we get the right conservative people, Bible believing people in office? Isn't that important to you? And I said, honestly, no. And she goes, what do you mean no? I said, from the very beginning, Christianity has frequently been at its best when you had a thug in office, when you have an oppressive government in office. Listen, the early church for 300 years grew like crazy with a guy like or guys like Nero in office, and yet they swarmed across the Roman Empire, brought the gospel to people. I'm telling you, freedom is one thing. Political freedom is a great thing. You and I enjoy it every day. We're enjoying it right now in this interview. But is it necessary for the gospel to go? And the answer is no, it's not. The gospel works under all conditions, no matter what the conditions are. Right. And what we've got to do is take the freedom. Now, taking the freedom might mean they cut off our head, but we take the freedom nonetheless and let's just see what God blesses. And in China, we understand that there may be more Christians in China today than, uh, well, th- than America. Right. More Christians today in China than there are in America. Now, why is that? I don't think it's because of American missionaries. I think it's because of uh, the Chinese that spreading this gospel bit by little bit, knowing that when they do it, they yeah. could be in big trouble with their government, and they do it none the less they take the freedom. And— uh I'm going to tell you, I'm with you. Praise God for the freedom that we have, even now in this moment. But let's take the freedom when it's not there anymore. And there may come a day in this America when it's not here. Well, we need to be ready when that comes. And we need to even then, maybe especially then, maybe more than than ever before, have hearts curved out to hurting people. Amen. And and I share this because I believe in a missional church, Uh, not just local, international. I mean, we, we do missions. We don't talk about uh, just doing it here. And I don't believe it necessarily starting in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria meant we start there. It may have said starting the big cities. Mm. We, we have lost most of the big cities because evangelical believers has pulled out of the bigger cities and gone to the suburbs because it's so much easier. Man, I, I love to see those churches that make the determination— we're going to stay down here in the in the downtown area where where everything is changing, and we're going to minister where God planted us. And so I'd encourage those churches that are listening, grow where you planted, make sure you're carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And it sounds like the pastor is leading the way there 
at Dayspring Community Church, brother. Well, we sure hope so. We're sure trying. But uh, regardless, I, I, we're now in the place right now where truth is, if I were to die today, the gospel keeps on moving down the line because of the faithfulness of the people to say, we are not here for ourselves. We've been sent for other people. The world is waiting for us. Let's get on the move. Now, what's the Latin phrase? Core ex curvitus ad alias, a heart curved out to others. Amen. You've heard it here on Explored Missions. Matt, thank you for being with us today. Again, a real honor. Thank you very much. God bless you, brother. talk about what discipleship is in a local church. Nathan, I feel like that because of that, we need to talk a good bit about discipleship. The Great Commission said, go and make disciples. And uh, it again, we want people to be converted, but they're converted from sinners to disciples, uh, from, from sinners to saints, or saved sinners, really, but we do become saints. Yes. But the process is discipleship, isn't it? It's and discipleship is more of a, a a process than an event. But we're really desiring to do that in churches. Um, some churches do it better than others. So let's talk about the biblical model. Uh, Jesus uh, wanted his followers to become disciples, and they were called disciples, weren't they? Yeah, that's right. They were. Followers or students, uh, you might even call them apprentices to Jesus. Um, in those days, it was unusual for a teacher, a rabbi like Jesus, to call uh, his own students, to call his disciples. Uh, yeah, what, they, what they, was normal, they would choose, right? What was normal was for the student to, co- to come and ask the teacher. You know, let me follow you. Will you let me follow you? So Jesus truly did turn the world upside down. He did. <laughs> Jesus took the initiative. And, yeah. and he, he called uh, men, young men, the 12, who quite possibly had already been rejected by teachers. At the age of these, uh, these men that Jesus was calling, they had, they had their own jobs. The only reason you would have a job, uh, whether it was fishermen or a tax collector or whatever these guys were doing, was if you have already kind of, quote-unquote, dropped out of, of schooling, of, of, of following a teacher. So these guys were not following any teacher. They were, they were working, and Jesus came to them and said, follow me. Um, and so, yeah, they, that's what they decided to do. They decided to follow Jesus, to learn from him, to learn to live life. They were students in, in Jesus' school of life. Let's read that. I want to read that. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And hear this. Now, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's their occupation. They'd already determined that. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What a different calling. Then they immediately left their nets and followed him. 
And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here is what you're talking about. Jesus called them. So is he calling us today to the, be his disciples? Yeah, it's, it's Jesus' call. Um, you know, it's not our idea to follow Jesus. If, if it was man's idea, we would not come up with this way of discipleship. Uh, sure, we want to go to heaven. Uh, but, you know, that's not what Jesus, Jesus didn't say, follow me and you go to heaven when you die. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He gave them a purpose. He gave them a mission in life. Now, and, these guys had already met Christ and they knew about him. And he had, but now uh, he's not just securing uh, their salvation and them following him, but he's he's securing them into discipleship to become a learner. Uh, if you look past, you could say they'd already been converted to Christ in a way, because you know Andrew said, "Come," and he brought Peter, his brother, to Jesus. But here, Jesus comes to them. It's also followed up that Paul would follow that method. I want to read this one. It's in Acts chapter 16, and it says, Then he, Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted him to have him go with him, and he took him, circumcised him, because of the Jews that were in the region, for they knew his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees which they had received, and they strengthened the churches. So Paul took the initiative as well. So what does that mean today in a discipleship? Jesus is calling us, right? Yeah. So a call to salvation is a call to discipleship? It is. It, it, it goes together. If you break down Jesus' words of follow me, I will make you fishers of men, you take those first two words of follow me, you could say that's evangelism, you know, a call to, to uh, believe. Um, and then the last one, I will make you fishers of men. The fishers of men is, is a sending out in ministry, in mission. And that middle part is Jesus saying, I will make you. And that's the heart of discipleship where we are made into the people that God uh, created us to be. Jesus is, is making us someone like him. That's what a disciple's goal is, to be like the master, be like the teacher. And so the end result of discipleship is to be like Christ. Um, but we have to follow him in order to be with him uh, to then turn around and serve him. And so, you know, what is, what is Jesus making us? He's making us like Christ in what ways? Two ways I'm thinking. He wants us to love God. Um, the way we, sh- we show our love to God is what? Obeying his commands. And that's what discipleship is about, is obeying what Jesus commands that he's given us. Um, and love God is the very first command. But then the second command is what? To love others, to love people. Second command. And so it's, he, he makes us into compassionate people for others as we go out and make, we're, he makes us fishers of men. And we're to show God's love to other people as well. So a church that's on mission will be disciple makers. Yes. And it's not always done from the pulpit. It's usually close and personal, like Jesus did it, the way that the Apostle Paul did it. So we encourage you, as best you can, become a disciple maker. Pass on your faith. 
But not just that, pass on that love of obeying him and loving others. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions here on the American Family Network.